Be thou my vision. Break my distraction so I can't ignore. It's awesome when uh, I gave a little message to Rhonda. Uh, what day was that? Monday? Tuesday? And uh, she picked that song. It's just awesome. Works perfect for today's sermon. Uh, if you guys don't know me, I'm Ryan. Um, I've been on and off here for quite a while. And uh, Keith gets a break, so I'm here. If it's your first time here, welcome. Washrooms are down the hall. Coffee's there, water's there. And I put my water somewhere, but I don't know where I put it. If you see a McDonald's coffee cup, it's mine. Oh, someone's pointing down. No, but that's okay. Um, talking about time today, I don't know if you noticed those quotes. Um, there was a few of them. I like the Dr. Seuss one. How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? Thanks, Abel. Autocorrect did not like floon. I had to change that about three times. I don't know how many people remember the game Trivial Pursuit. Show of, show of hands, anyone play it? Okay, you guys are old like me, that's good. Um, back in the day, kids, there was a board, and there was dice, and cards, and there was nothing digital about it. It was actually quite fun. Anyways, uh, back in the early 80s, uh, this game, Trivial Pursuit, was kind of a, made in Canada, I believe, Montreal. So it's a Canadian game, it was quite popular. Uh, like most board games, um, there was board, dice, game cards. Uh, but with this game, there was also this circular little cheese wheel. That's what I called it anyways. And you would put different uh, tokens or icons inside of this little cheese wheel. As you rolled the dice, you went around the board. And uh, as you landed on a question, say sports and leisure, that's the only one I ever got. Um, you would try to answer the question, and if you won, you'd get one of the one of those little triangles there. It doesn't show up to here. It was one of the yellow ones, I think. It was sports and leisure. Um, anyways, we spent a lot of time as a family playing this game. Uh, my personal family, and then even and my dad played, which that's probably why it was stuck in my head. My dad never played games at all, though. So, um, that was probably why it was significant for me too. But then when we would have extended family over, they would be playing this game as well. And we had a lot of fun. My mom's sisters, um, my aunts, um, they cackle. So if they were answering a question or if they got it wrong or they misunderstood, there was lots of laughter, lots and lots of laughter. Just crazy amount. That's probably what I remember most. Anyways, we were playing along uh, one time, still in one of those things that, that floats in the back of your brain. And we're playing along, everyone's having fun, there's laughter, like I said, cackling from my aunts, one particular aunt, Auntie Barbara. Um, I can say that because she admits she's a cackler. Um, she laughed so hard she laid an egg once, that's, that's the family joke. <laughs> Story for another time, but it's pretty funny. Anyways, we're going along and I wasn't going to say who it was, but I'm going to say who it was because she's actually really good at this stuff now, so I'll give her the credit. And it was my sister. Um, 
she had this ability to read forever, six, eight, 10, 12 hours a day. At that time, I, I, and still now, I don't know how she could do it. But she, anyways, the, she would read, and when she'd run out of things to read, she would go through what we found out was the answer, the questions from Trivial Pursuit. And yes, on the, back, on the back side of the question card was the answers. So she would read and kind of test herself and go through and the next card and the next card and the next card. Needless to say, she knew all the answers. And my sister's brain is one of those things where if a, something goes in, it's there. And it's kind of like my mom that way. It's kind of, I'm good with numbers, my sister's just good with all those trivial kind of things that stick in her brain. Ask her about Marvel, DC, martial arts stuff, whatever. You pick a topic, she probably knows all about it. So that's to her credit. But after that discovery, that game sat on our shelf. <laughs> about five, six years ago, I donated it to Salvation Army. Yeah, it just never really got played again when she was around. I only won it once. Now I know why. But even though she did what she did with the cards and the answers, it's still one of those times where hanging out with people, having this relationship with people, spending time laughing over a silly game, um, it's just one of those things where, as a family, we kind of recollect that at, um, well, whether at funerals or get-togethers or social occasions. or we, Actually, we had them all together at uh, Family Day, so it was really nice. Let's see if we can talk about this. So if you haven't figured it out, what I'm trying to talk about today is, instead of Trivial Pursuit, like this game, uh, trying to talk about something called Timeless Pursuit. And uh, it's kind of the cheesy graphic that we came up with, but it works. So as part of a pursuit, as part of an adventure, let's say. Let's see if you guys want to do this. Do you guys want to do a little adventure today? Yeah? Really easy. You don't even have to leave your chair. Yeah, I got one, one lady shaking her head. That's good. So sit there in your chair. Close your eyes. And go ahead. Go ahead. It's okay. You're safe. Now picture, if you will your eyes closed and your memory palace, your memory bank opened, recall a moment in time, one of your most enjoyable moments. What were you doing? Were you with someone? Was there joy in that moment? Think about that for a couple seconds. Okay, you can open your eyes. I don't know what you, what you saw when you closed your eyes or how you felt. Oftentimes, this is for country people, um, the story that comes about is the power went out and the devices went away. Uh, the board, came, board games came out, the candles came out, the flashlights came out. People were gathered together once again in a little community, having fun together, telling stories, relating to everything. Steve, you can open your eyes. I think you fell asleep. 
For me, in the moment when I close my eyes and I, I think about this, um, I got a picture. Um, I have a wave of emotion so strong that I feel the Hawaiian ocean breeze on my face. Pure joy and laughter as my kids and wife jump and dive in the warm ocean surrounding the big island of Hawaii. This is powerful for me. It's a very powerful memory. A very clear moment when I was so joyful, so happy to be making memories with my family. There's a lot more to that story, and if you guys ever want to take me out for a coffee or a soda pop, um, I'll tell it to you. But it's, it's a good story for another time. When I've asked this question to people, and for a season I was doing a lot of funerals. I, I'm, not, I'm not a public speaker, but for some reason people were coming up to me and um, asking me to do the eulogy. And was, sometimes for people I didn't really know. Um, seems odd, and it was odd, but I was doing it. Um, and so as I was asking to kind of, you know, get some background story and, and listen to the people and listen to the stories, there was, there was just a, a real habit, a real significant story that was always being told. They were told about not what they watched, not what um, thing they bought, but it was, if they did buy a thing, it was around the story behind what they bought. It was about the story behind going somewhere, fishing stories, hockey stories, um, laughing together, hard times, but there was still something joyful in those hard times. Timeless memories that warm the heart, and in some cases, in most cases, they transform the lives of those people. Even long after those moments happened, there seems to be a real connection between the memories and then the depth of the relationship. It's quite an honor to get to do all those eulogies for those people. And often there was tears, but often there was laughter. For the next adventure, you don't have to close your eyes this time, but envision if you can a time when Jesus walked the roads around Jerusalem. A lot of people were walking roads. They weren't paved. Um, they probably did have potholes like Thunder Bay does right now. Um, but if you envision the time right around the Passover feast that's going to be coming up in a couple weeks, you think about these roads that people were walking. There was a lot of walking. There was a lot of pilgrimage. How do you say that word? Pilgrimage, whatever. Walking to Jerusalem. <laughs> and those people that were coming, they were walking on these roads. They were dirt roads. And these roads weren't clean. They were sometimes used for sewers. And I got a quote here actually from a fellow called, uh, see if I can turn this on. There you go. This is a book that uh, Carolyn uh, found and it's actually quite, uh, quite interesting book. But the roads in Jesus' day were unpaved and sometimes served as sewers and dumpsters. Most people's sandal-clad feet were filthy and unsanitary. 
Foot washing was a necessary task. The act often took place around mealtime, especially when guests were involved. This is from a book called Theology as Discipleship. If we go and look at the passage in, in the book of John, this is kind of the, what was happening here. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came back from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, sat aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying him, drying them with his apron. Now, if you've been a churchgoer for a while, you probably have read this multiple times. Doesn't mean the point is still there to kind of bring out and and uh, talk about here, especially in light of how gross these roads were and the real practical necessity to, to have your feet washed. But we can still ask the question, what was Jesus doing here? Foot washing was like a, a trivial thing, a normative thing, something that the homeowners or the guests did themselves. If the homeowners were well off, they would have their servants wash the guests' feet. Thing keeps timing out. Again, on from the theology as discipleship book. One thing before I get into the quote, if you don't know much about the Jewish uh, religion and culture, mostly the culture we're talking about here, is that there was a pecking order. So there was like classes, to some degree, not quite the word right word, but think of it, where there was definitely a pecking order. There was servants. There was masters. There were the rich and there were the poor. And those barriers were quite a bit apart. Very drastic change. But in this quote here, it says, in a, high, in a society highly conscious of relative status, it would be unthinkable for this uniquely servile act to be performed for an inferior by a superior in the social scale. Because such an act would be an incom- incomprehensible contradiction of their social relationship. So this guy's a smart person, and he uses lots of fancy words. <coughs> Basically, you don't wash other people's feet unless you're a servant or you wash your own feet. If you're the rabbi, or in this case, as Jesus' words are, he used the term master, the master just doesn't do this. This was a very symbolic, very huge, huge act that Christ was doing here. So much so, um, I'm not going to really talk about it, but if you read, and you're welcome to read all of chapter 13 from John, uh, Peter gets quite excited about uh, what Jesus was trying to do here. You're picking up the rest of the story after Jesus has washed, washed their feet. I don't have these in red letters. There's a song I'm going to play later called The Red Letters. The red letters are Jesus' words. If you're old school, you may have an old red letter Bible edition. But anyways, here we go. Then he said, Jesus, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. 
So if I, the master and the teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I, I have laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. When you think of serving in the church, when you think of volunteering, are we thinking of what is our heart? Are we doing it because we're, we're wanting people to notice us? Are we wanting the servile act to be shown? There's a lot of people here that put in a lot of time at church to make these lights come on, to make this floor clean, to have the bread and, and the wine here. There's a lot of things that get done. And uh, I'm thankful that these people seem to have a heart, heart like Christ. Because Jesus knew that he was on his way back to God, this was a great opportunity, this whole trivial, normative thing, this foot-washing time. Kind of disgusting, too, to be honest with you. But he wanted to set an example. He wanted to show them, not just in his words, but in his action. He wanted to lay aside his role as master, his status. He wanted to show them to accept that humility. And by accepting that humility, by washing their feet, truly showing them this heart of God. This heart of God that, I'm getting ahead of myself, but this heart of God that for some of us maybe we're getting tired. Jesus' heart is for the disciples to see and experience that God is a God who acts in humility to serve others out of love. And remember, this is just like just before Passover. <laughs> so in the timeline of the Christian calendar, Easter's coming, Right? So this whole sacrificial, self-giving life, these choices that Jesus is making, the disciples didn't understand it, but something was changing in the relationship. He was setting an example. He was playing a board game with, with them. He was, in a sense, spending time with them, showing them, modeling them what to do, how to do it, who is this God? Because as much as it sounds like they understood, if you read through the scriptures, there's a lot of times where Jesus was just totally misunderstood. Lots of times. But by seeing this servant act being carried out by Christ, the disciples see this mind of Christ and they see it in action. This mind of self-sacrificial love and humility. They see a trivial action made into a timeless moment where the relationship was deepened and was transformative in the way the disciples carried on in a self-sacrificial love for the gospel. Here's the challenging part for us, and for me. I'm not sure, you know, when you hear this story, and like I said, maybe you've heard it hundreds of times. If you've been in church, in Sunday school, you know the answer typically is Jesus, right? So yes, that's... 
That's a pretty safe answer. If you're in Sunday school and you don't know the answer, if your kids don't know, if you're new here, tell them the answer is Jesus and they'll probably get away 80% of the time. But let's unpack that and not just be at that superficial level, but let's actually look at this whole, what Jesus is doing. He's setting this up. He's trying to get people to understand and, feel, and make them feel somewhat uncomfortable, but also challenging themselves where they're at. And so when I think of that for myself, I'll speak myself, I don't know where you guys are at, but maybe some of you have experienced this, this servile act, where someone has come to your house and, I always get emotional, sorry guys. Um, Maybe someone's come to your house and split wood for you. You guys know who you are. Um... When, hmm, it's funny. I'm going off notes, so. I was sharing this, kind of what I was thinking uh, with a coworker, and uh, he's not a Christian fellow. He's struggling in life, but he's trying to do what he can. And I was just kind of processing this out loud and thinking he might want to hear this. I actually invited him today. I don't see him. He said he wasn't coming. (laughs) If you're here, you know who you are. I don't see him. Anyways, one of the stories I shared, I said to him, I said, when people do these servile acts, these things, and I've experienced a lot of them in my life. And uh, there was a time when we were um, going through the throes of uh, cancer with uh, Samuel, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of times where and I told I was telling this coworkers uh, this story or these stories there's lots of times but there was people that would just come up and shake my hand typically it was the right hand shake my hand reach into their coat pocket give me an envelope a couple jars of honey some preserves I didn't even know who they were. Just random people. And I still don't know who they are. (laughs) They said, I heard a story. Um, Carolyn was doing a lot of Facebooking at the time, telling the story of what was going on with Samuel as we were fighting through cancer. And uh, people just were coming up, pulling up the driveway. And it was normally the same thing. Uh, I heard something, not sure what you need, but here you go, I'm, I'm so-and-so. I'm like, okay, I don't remember your name. Yeah, mm-hmm. Here's this envelope. Here's some preserves. Here's a casserole. We're praying for Sammy. So, don't get swayed by my tears. Those tears are just real tears based on my story. Based on my story of how um, Jesus just continued to show this foot washing in real practical ways in my life and in the life of my family. But maybe where you're at today, um, maybe you're not feeling that. Maybe you've never experienced that. 
that foot washing, that servile act. When I talked to my coworker about this, he he admitted, he's not a Christian, like I said, but he admitted that, yeah, I've been blessed. I've had opportunities. He didn't use the word blessed, but there's things that have happened in my life that I shouldn't have been, that I didn't deserve. But maybe some of you don't feel that way. Maybe you're angry with him, angry with God, angry that you haven't felt this experience. Maybe you're at a place where, I'll be honest, maybe you just don't care. It's a hard place to be, but it's real. Sometimes you may even wonder, what the heck are you doing in church? That's a real thing, too. Why are you coming? You sit here, maybe in a different chair. Now we've got padded chairs. It's kind of cozy. But maybe these are just questions that you have to ask. Or maybe you've been a long-time churchgoer, and now you're just tired. You're tired of these stories. You're tired of what people like me are trying to talk about on Sunday mornings. I got two ears if you ever want to yell at someone or be frustrated or curse. I don't, I don't judge that. I don't care. If you need a set of ears, I've got two. I know there's a couple other people here, probably more than a couple, that would love to listen to. Whatever you got going on, wherever you're at, whatever these questions... Keep wrestling with this. Whatever you get distracted by, whatever you get overwhelmed or you start thinking about, oh, church this and that, this this coffee tastes like this and blah, 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 all these things that we want to throw in as excuses. I brought my own coffee. (laughs) No judgment on this coffee. I just, I drink decaf. And don't judge me for drinking decaf, you coffee snobs, you. We have former baristas in here, so I've got to be careful what I say. But seriously, if there is a place that you need to yell and curse and God doesn't seem like he's listening, find this community. I was sharing earlier in a meeting, just talking about um, challenges and strengths and all those things, and... Um, the thing that healed me and brought me through uh, pretty dark times in my life was this community. I'm looking at everybody. I don't know if I can make eye contact with everybody, but there's a lot of, lot of people that just, like I said, brought me envelopes, preserves, jam, honey, and lots of casseroles. I did learn how to cook our chickens, which was a good thing. Find someone, talk to them. If you're finding yourself, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about Easter, and that is an amazing, amazing... People love to talk about Christmas because they're getting a present, but there's a certain present that we got at Easter. And uh, dig into the stories. Pick up the Bible. Pick up a different translation. These are from the message. It's easier to understand. It's not 
King James or New King James or NIV or TNIV, all these different things. Pick something up. It's free on your, on your phone. Pick it up, select your version, find one you like, read the words of Jesus. If they're in red letters, you know they're Jesus' words. Take the time to get on this adventure before you just end up being distracted by all these trivial things that we seem to get our minds wrapped up in. One of the things that I think about, um, I do a lot of thinking, it sounds like. I'm really not that profound. Um, I have shifted some things in my life, but that's a story for another time, but I have been trying to be more more discerning and taking some more time to think through these issues. One of them has been the uh, next slide, which is this one. And so when I'm thinking about, instead of just doing the good thing, and I'll go back to that quote of Bruxy Cavey. If you guys don't know who Bruxy Cavey is, he's got a, it's like an online church. I don't know where it went. Anyways. Can you go back to the first one, Brad? Wherever he is. The first Bruxy Cavey question. If you never have enough time to do the things you know you should do, then something that you're doing is outside the will of God. That quote, that's actually from a sermon that I listened to. Um from 2007, I went, I went old school. Um, but that, that um, quote, and then just some dialogue with, uh, with some peers, um, trying to think the difference between the good thing and the best thing. And one of the, when I think of the best thing, one of the scriptures that comes to mind is this. Go back to that other, yeah, boy, you're right on the, awesome, Brad, thanks. So this is what I'm trying to do, guys. Um, I've been invigorated, and I've taken some time to wrestle with this. It's probably a few years in the process. I'm a bit of a slow processor. But this is something I'm trying to really uh, wrestle with. God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic. I love that word. What a find. And one thing, if you're reading scripture, if you read it in a boring, monotone voice, it's boring, monotone. One of my teachers way back when, we were reading the book of Revelation, and yeah, we were yelling it. He said, yell it so loud that the classroom downstairs and about 150 feet away is going to come up and complain. And we did. He gave us permission to yell out scripture, so we did. It was fun. And I remember it. One of those memorable moments, right? So God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. This, the finder is ecstatic. What a find! And read it. To, you go ahead, read it that way to yourself when you're reading. And proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy that field. Or God's kingdom is like a jewel a jewel merchant, on the hunt for excellent pearls. Finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything and buys it. This is where I'm at. 
Maybe some of you are too. My closing prayer is simple. And if you want, you can say it with me. As we think through these, these words, these actions of Christ, what he's done, how he washed feet of, of people that he should have had his feet washed, all the blessings, all the grace that we've experienced. And like I said, even if you haven't experienced that or you're tired, this is still a prayer. In its simplest, easiest form, God, please reveal to me the things that distract me from pursuing you. God, please reveal to me the things that distract me from pursuing you. That's the end of the sermon. Hopefully it made sense. I'm supposed to talk about communion right now. And um, thank you. Brad is awesome. Um, I've never done, what's the right word, officiated, led? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm very naive this way. I've never done it. Um, Keith asked me a, a while ago, Keith, Pastor Keith asked me a while ago to, uh, to do it, and I said no. <laughs> and he said, okay. But I was kind of a bit more emphatic. Is that the right word? I was like, nope, I'm not doing that. Not at all. I think I shocked him. He was meekly saying, okay. Like I said, I've been taking some time to discern these different things in my life. And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about my response to officiating or leading communion. And uh, I had to come up with why did I say no so, so quickly? Oh, this is a part of me, and it may not be for everyone, but this is just a part of me. Um, since I was young, blood, human or animal, I know technically we're animals, but human or animal has always been significant to me. Growing up in a country setting, uh, there were animals that were raised for meat. Um, at that time, I did not enjoy processing of the animals. That's a fancy way to say. <coughs> Maybe it was me. Could have been. Maybe it was the environment or the, the methodology that was used or done. Ironically, later in my life, I got, I raised birds of my own and I hunt big game when I can. So I've shot moose and killed a lot of chickens. Processed, sorry. Don't use the word killed. People might get offended. But there was a way that I felt that I was able to change the methodology or the environment for that. And so that was just a process that I had to work through. Also, when it comes to human blood, um, there have been numerous vehicle accidents that I've either volunteered at or... Um, been the only one on scene to administer first aid. And sometimes there was blood involved, 
sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. And so when it comes to blood, it resonates with me. So anyways, taking time to discern where my answer came from, saying no to Keith. Um, I had to think of these experiences and the significance of blood to a living animal, human, animal, human or animal, and then think of Jesus' blood being spilled out and even the bread being broken. I had to think about that on how... Uh, how it was done for me. Ah, there are times, I'll just be honest, there are times when I don't feel worthy. Whew, so you can see with the no. <laughs> so if you notice, uh, if you guys notice me in the future not taking part of uh, communion, um, now you know. And I'll just put a little disclaimer there. Um, this story uh, is my story. Uh, if you don't feel that, that's fine. That's not the view of Grassroots Church. It's just my story. But we can read the story of the first, com first uh, communion. The day of unleavened bread came, the day the Passover lamb was butchered. Jesus sent Peter and John off saying, go, prepare the Passover for us so we can eat it together. They said, where do you want us to do this? He said, keep your eyes open as you enter the city. A man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him home. Then speak with the owner of the house. The teacher wants to know where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will show you a spacious second-story room, swept and ready. Prepare the meal there. They left, found everything just as he told them, and prepared the Passover meal. Let's not even talk about all this amazing stuff that just happened there. Let's carry on. When it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with him, and said, You've no idea how much I've looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I, before I enter my time of suffering. It's the last one I'll eat until we all eat it together in the kingdom of God. Taking the cup, he blessed it and said, take this and pass it among you. As for me, I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives. Taking bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Eat it in my memory. He did the same thing with the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood, the blood poured out for you. You guys are welcome to the table. <clears throat> 